Welcome to Conversations About Care, a podcast for pediatric clinical providers. Hi, this is Sandy Hassink, and I'm the medical director for the Institute for Healthy Childhood Weight at the American Academy of Pediatrics. I recently sat down with my friend and colleague, Natalie Moose, who is a dual board certified pediatrician, registered dietitian, obesity medicine physician, and a leading author of the policy to reduce sugary drink consumption in children and adolescents. Stay tuned to hear our discussion on how to address sugary drink consumptions with families. Well, Natalie, I'm so glad we had a chance to talk today, and I'm so interested in um, how you got interested in um, writing the policy statement on sugary drinks that just came out for the Academy. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. Um, So one of the roles that I currently have is a member of the American Academy of Pediatrics section on obesity um, executive committee. And and a lot of what we do is help um, optimize care for children affected by obesity in the pediatric kind of primary care setting and specialty setting. And in the executive committee, we have lots of conversations about, you know, what could we be doing or what should we be doing really to help kids and their families? Because we know that obesity is multifactorial and there's many factors that come into play. Um, And the environment and policies around the food environment really are highly impactful. Um, And the evidence is pretty clear that sugary drink consumption Um, is really detrimental to children's health, and there's a lot of health harms from it. And in the clinic, I'm a primary care pediatrician, so I see kids all day long, and I see some of these effects that come from really high intake of sugary drinks. And in kind of having these conversations and kind of with the academy and also in conversations with the American Heart Association, it became pretty clear that there needed to be some guidance and some kind of statement from you know, the AAP addressing sugary drinks and policies that might help to reduce sugary drink consumption in kids and teens. So it kind of came out of conversations within a smaller group um, of the executive committee of the section on obesity, and then really involving a broader group and stakeholders and um, experts in the area to help us put this thought and idea um, into an evidence-informed statement that the AAP and all of the, um, the, the larger leadership groups amongst the AAP could really get behind and help support. You know, I'm so glad you did this because I spent many years in clinic um, talking to parents and children about sugary drinks. And um, many times parents uh, didn't know that sugary drinks were, were harmful in terms of uh, the sugar content and obesity. And when they did know, um, many times the kids would uh, kind of pester the parents to, to get the sugary drinks. And, and uh, we, we know that there's a lot of marketing that goes on and a lot of advertisements that the kids see for these drinks. And how do you weave the discussion of sugary drinks into, say, a well visit? Is that something that you find that you touch on every time? Or how are you working that into your well care? Yeah, so conversation about sugary drinks uh, happens in my clinic and with my group at every well child check. Part of that is that it's built into our patient answered questionnaire that they fill out for every well child check. Does your child drink sugary drinks? And we all see that uh, it pops into our note after they've completed the questionnaire. So we're lucky in that way to be able to see it. 
right there. And then that sparks um, the conversation when they say yes, which is most of the time uh, to be able to get the messaging out to explore it more or at the minimum really doing messaging around 5210 with the zero being recommending zero sugary drinks a day. Uh, sometimes it comes up more often, especially if there are children that are affected by obesity or there's further conversation around the growth chart. Um, if it turns out that they said yes, if they drink a lot of sugary drinks, really getting an idea of how much of the sugary drinks, what are mm -hmm. they? Um, and then, you know, goal setting around that um, as, as indicated, really based on the particular child. But yes, every well child check, we ask about sugary drink consumption, mm -hmm. and then if they say yes, address it. So what, what have you found um, helpful with your parents now that you've looked at all the policies? What are you telling parents now in clinic about what to do about sugary drinks? So um, first to just remark on the marketing that's done to influence um, kids and especially teenagers to want sugary drinks. It's just so much money. Billions of dollars are spent every year getting these young people to think that it's cool and to ask for and to want these sugary drinks that really are quite you know, detrimental to their health. So one of the things that we address in the policy statement really is trying to help increase awareness of these marketing strategies and trying to help systems in place to help reduce some of that marketing. But even still, um, it's there and, and the kids are on you know, social media and they're on YouTube and they're getting exposed to stuff all the time. I think one of the um, key things that I talk to parents about is really trying to help, one, minimize exposure as much as possible to sugary drinks, but then two, helping their kids to be smart and savvy uh, consumers of information, especially once kids are about eight or older and, to, and especially teenagers, they can start to understand marketing gimmicks and strategies mm -hmm. and, and see that uh, these companies are really just trying to get their money. And in fact, there was a study recently that showed that teenagers who were made aware of some of these strategies around sugary drinks actually were less likely to choose them, partly to kind of like to stick it to you, a company, you can't trick me. <laughs> um, so I think what parents, one, I think every parent or most parents know that sugary drinks aren't really that healthy for their kids, but I don't know that they realize um, how much sugar is really in the drinks and how unhealthy it may be. So in clinic, you know, we have these conversations to try to minimize or reduce sugary drinks down to none, ideally, but at least one or less per week. But then um, as part of my practice, I also run a healthy weight clinic and we actually will do sugary drink demonstrations with the kids and their parents there, just showing them how much sugar is in, you know, that 20 ounce soda mm -hmm. that they're drinking. And when, and they see, you know, we'll take it and we'll start measuring out the teaspoons, you know, we're getting to like 16 teaspoons here of the sugar and showing them the sugar in a bag and see like, when you drink this soda, you're basically drinking all of the sugar and that usually is pretty powerful to help the older kids be yeah. like oh yeah i i think that i'm gonna go ahead and um minimize my exposure now yeah you know that's so interesting because i had friends who did that they actually had a display case in their practice with the bottles of different sugary drinks and the sugar and it was quite an attraction for the parents and the kids in the waiting room who usually did what your parents do were kind of amazed that that much sugar could be in that little sugar, that little bottle of uh, 
sugary drinks. How, how are you talking to kids be, about the sports drinks and the energy drinks that are, are so common and they, they seem to so love them um, when they go out and they participate in a sport and it's break time and they'll get a, a sports drink? Yeah, great question. And I think the sports drinks are another example of really um, effective marketing that's being done to kids to have them think, oh, if you drink this drink, you're going to be a better athlete and you're going to be able to, you know, excel at your sport even better. And there's a culture around it, too. I mean, my kids play sports and uh, as much as I dislike that there's always like snacks after these, you know, one hour soccer games with little kids and the parents you know, are often bringing Gatorade or bringing other sports drinks. Uh, it's like the kids need to refuel or something. And I help yeah. them to understand, you know, really most of the time, um, the sports drinks actually do not only do nothing for you as far as your athletic performance, but they're actually harmful because there's lots of sugar in them. You don't need mm -hmm. the electrolyte replacement that they tell you that you need unless you're doing like really intensive physical activity lasting longer than an hour. You know, you're really breaking a sweat. There are some situations that, that they can be beneficial, but most of the time they really aren't. And in having these conversations also help the kids to see, you know, there's a lot of sugar in here, much more than you would think. Um, it's not so different than having a soda or mm -hmm. having a lot of juice. It's really something that we want to try to minimize as much as we can. Yeah. I was always also, um, Impressed and somewhat amazed at how much, um, how many sugary drinks our little kids uh, that came into clinic would drink. And I remember walking into clinic one day and having a little five-year-old have a big cup of, um, you know, uh, I think it was a soda. And she came to my weight management clinic and I said to mom, um, how come she, you know, how did she come to have this soda in her hands, you know? And mom said, well, she pestered me for it and she wanted it. So I think that um, sometimes I found myself not only, you know, cautioning them about sugary drinks, but having to do a little coaching about what to do when the kids were, were asking for the sugary drinks and um, how to um, try to minimize the drinks in their home environment and how to parent your way through uh, this little child who insists that uh, they, they want this drink and they have to have it. So I think that our parents have to walk a, a line between uh, an environment that keeps throwing these drinks in their in their way and advertising to kids and parenting their way through this. Um, do you find that the parents are pretty responsive once you talk about sugary drinks and are able to sort of uh, get hold of that and parent their way through these situations? You know, uh, yes, I do. I find that much of the time when I'm working with families where the kids are drinking sugary drinks, it's a great low hanging fruit to start with because we know that the change, if a kid stops drinking sugary drinks, especially if they're a regular consumer, the impact they're gonna see from that change of going to water or, or to milk, um, but mostly water is gonna really um, be significant. And so much of the time, the, the, the families really are pretty receptive to decreasing sugary drinks. I'll often start with the kid, especially if they're an, an older kid, like asking them like, how much do you really love it? And most of the time they'll say, you know what? I don't really even love it that much. I don't really need it. And then it's from there that we kind of mm -hmm. build from where they're at to help come up with the plan then of starting to make that adjustment. And I think, you know, to, to your example of the five-year-old um, and even just thinking from these 
younger kids, one of the best uh, steps a parent can take, especially if they've got younger children, is to try to never even expose it to them in the first place. Mm-hmm. I mean, really having just the breast milk or formula till age one, and then at one, well, at six months, starting water, and then at one, just being like water and milk and not even offering the juice, not even mm-hmm. introducing them to that sweetened beverage can really make a big difference to make it a lot easier later on to not have a child who's just so craving that sweet taste because we know that, you know, the, the drinks are made for us to like them and to want to have more. And it's hard to tell a child, you know, you can't have more of something that you, that you like so much because it's just not good for your body. You know, that's so important. And, you know, there is data that show that the young children who drink sugary drinks have higher rates of obesity. So if they're drinking these drinks at two, at six, they'll have higher rates of obesity. And I think um, parents uh, are also need to know that there's risk now and there's risk later. Um, and oftentimes, um, I got a lot of mileage out of talking to parents about dental caries and sugary drinks. And uh, some parents were very interested uh, in, in good dental health. So that's another way I think we can approach it, uh, another uh, area that the parents are very interested in. Yeah, that's a a great point. And I think it really lends to the idea that it's not just about weight. While we are concerned about childhood obesity and weight, there are things like cavities, prediabetes, type 2 diabetes, fatty liver disease, you know, heart disease, these other conditions that can sometimes be, you know, are often associated with weight, but it's not even just a kid who's got overweight and drinks sugary drinks may have these things. Even kids who don't and have lots of sugary drinks are at risk as well. You know, it's interesting because I think the parents kind of get it when you were talking about soda and even the energy drinks. And I know it's a little harder for parents to think about juice because juice seems like it's going to be really healthy. And I know our new juice statement came out a couple years ago and really talked about uh, no juice under uh, one and uh, four ounces from one to three and then four to six, for uh, you know, for older kids. And uh how, how do you approach juice? Because I think parents sometimes put juice in almost a separate category from sugary drinks in their minds. Yeah. Um, to be honest, in a lot of the coaching that I do with families, I pretty much put juice in the same category as other mm-hmm. sugary drinks. Uh, I think the recommendations, you know, for the limits to juice, a lot of that was done because we want to make sure that kids are getting access to the nutrients from fruit. And so there may be some situations where kids can't get access to fruit. And so maybe a small amount of juice is like second best. But most of the time, there can be access to fruit, whether it's fresh fruit or frozen fruit. So I really talk to parents about juice saying, you know, it's just basically taking the sugar from Mm -hmm. the fruit and it doesn't make you feel full. It's missing the fiber and it causes the child to really crave that sweet drink. So we are much better off if we just stick with water and we help the kid to get the fruit from a fruit that also has a fiber that will also help them to feel full. Um, And it's kind of a win win to have good um, nutrition, good portion control and to not develop that taste for that sweet drink. You know, I think that's so important to um, for parents to hear that that juice, which may look so healthy to them, really is the sugary extract of the fruit and not the benefit of the fiber and the other nutrition 
in the fruit. And, you know, I always used to say, I'd like you, you know, I'd like the child to be able to chew their nutrition um, when they get it and not, not drink their nutrition. And, you know, I uh, heard dentists uh, talk because now this is a little off subject, but now we have toddlers, you know, with these pouches and kind of drinking this semi-solid liquid almost. And it's not exactly a sugary drink, but it's not chewing your food. And, you know, I, I've heard dentists say that they, they um, want the children to chew because it helps develop their, their mandible and their, their bite. So um, I think there's a lot of things that parents are confronted with that um, are, are out there that um, are maybe attractive or convenient that they need to, uh, that we need to help them kind of get a bead on and think about, well, is it healthy? It might be attractive, it might be convenient, but is it really healthy for your, your child? Um, I wanted to ask you, because this came up with me for my older kids, about uh, non-nutritive sweeteners, because I'd have an adolescent who was drinking, say, a large amount of sugar-sweetened beverages, and water at the first uh, time we would talk about it was not all that appealing to them. And so how, have you um, had, do you have some thoughts about how we deal with non-nutritive sweeteners? Yeah, it's a great uh, question and lots of discussion and, and research going on with that. And I think we don't have all the answers that, that we would like to have as far as the safety and the utility of the non-nutritive sweeteners in children and adolescents. Uh, there may be some potential benefit of um, you know, diet drinks or, or drinks sweet with non-nutritive sweeteners rather than, um, you know, caloric sweeteners or sugar for kids who already drink a lot of sugary drinks and we're trying to um, wean them off of them potentially. But overall, I really try to encourage parents as often as possible and the kids and the teenagers to really go with water. Um, sparkling water can be a good option for a child who likes soda, because you can start to transition them, or flavored, non-caloric flavored water um, that doesn't have added non-intuitive sweeteners either. <laughs> um, but, you yeah. know, sometimes I think it's probably, you know, sometimes it comes up, sometimes uh, kids may want or parents may want to have these, you know, some kind of a sweeter drink, and it, it may be potentially an okay um, beverage sometimes. But again, I think we really don't know. And it's so confusing to parents um, in choosing drinks because the marketing of them and what it's even hard to tell, like what is 100% fruit juice versus a fruit drink that's got added sugars versus um, something that's sweetened with an artificial sweetener, is stevia different than another artificial sweetener? Um, the marketing tries to help parents think that all of these things are really healthy for their kids. And you have to be pretty savvy, really. And even then, it's difficult to get to the bottom of whether or not a drink is, is a good option for a child or not. So I think keeping it really simple, like water, good option. Milk, yeah. good option. Everything else, yeah. you got to be really cautious about it. Yeah. I think in the situations where the child really is having trouble, um, I would always refer to these um, non-nutritive, the sweetened, uh, non-nutritive sweeteners as transitional beverages. Like they're not forever, they're for a, a purpose. And the purpose is to move you from where you are to water. And, you know, sometimes uh, that, can, that can help. Um, 
Do you have any advice for parents? Because um, there's a lot of socializing, and a lot of times the kids are going to houses where the, the family's going to serve a lot of sh sugary drinks, and uh, they're at the party or they're at the relative's house. Do you have any advice for uh, parents and kids when they're in that situation? Yeah, it, it can be really tricky, and I generally advise parents around drinks, but also just around food and eating to try to have uh, at home a culture of uh, having, you know, healthy options, trying not to have the sugary drinks and the beverages at home, trying to model, you know, the way you want your kids to drink. And then when you go outside the home, um, helping your kids to already have the tools and the knowledge to hopefully be making good choices, but sometimes they're exposed, everybody else is drinking something and they may drink it too. And I think if we're too restrictive and we tell them that they can never have anything and when they're at a friend's house or at a party and we completely um, eliminate their option to even try it, I think what happens mm -hmm. later on is they do it and they do more of it when we're not mm -hmm. looking and it's like yeah. a secretive thing. So generally, yeah. you know, I suggest at home trying to follow the recommendations of water and milk at home, try not to have other things at home for parents to try to not to have too many sugary drinks either, help the kids to know what's healthy for them and, and then hope that when they're out and about, um, they're able to kind of moderate it and to not be overly restrictive because I think it backfires a lot of the time if we yeah. are. Yeah, such an important point, Natalie. And. Um... I, I also think you're making the other important point that uh, the whole this is a family affair, that the whole family really needs to pitch in. And so when you're looking at sugary drinks, um, a healthy family environment means that all family members are on board. And uh, a lot sometimes you find out um, who who the spoilers are, so to speak. It might be the older brother who wants his soda or dad. And um, so any, any advice when you're talking to families? Is there anything that you find helpful to say when you're sitting there and you, you know, and the mom kind of knows that you really want to do this, but there's somebody in the house that might be um, not, not, not so much on board? Yeah, it's a great point because it really um, family level changes are the most effective ones. And uh, what, what doesn't help and is quite hurtful that happens a fair amount um, that we really encourage families to not do is where one kid, say a, a child is, you know, struggling with increased weight or something like that. And then they say, okay, this kid can't mm -hmm. have this drink, but the other kid who's an athlete or who doesn't have increased weight mm -hmm. or whatever can, can have the soda and it's okay. And that's really not what we're going for. We really want to try to have all the family members to be in it together because it, it, the health matters for everyone. It doesn't matter about weight or, or not. Um, when there's someone who's really not on board, it can be very challenging. And it's usually, um, if it's a ch child who's not on board, it's easier because a parent can just be like, well, I'm not buying this stuff anymore. We're not having it. And, and I encourage that. Um, if it's another adult, you know, usually they care a lot about their kids and they want their kids to, to be healthy. And maybe they'd be willing to have a conversation where if they really need the soda, maybe they can have it when they're at work or have it outside mm -hmm. the home. Um, or just have it not be so much in view all the time. And that that may be helpful. Um, I've also found that what can help is if families kind of schedule when they're gonna have 
um, mm. whether it's a food or, or a drink. So say they really love the sugary drinks. They feel like I can't get off of this. I really want, we want it. We're not going to change completely. They'd be like, okay, well maybe we can have a plan for it then. Like maybe it's Fridays or once a week that there's going to be some occasion and that you're having the drink, or, you know, you're going to a party and you know, everybody's going to be drinking all these drinks. So why don't we just build that in of like, that's when we'll do it. Or maybe, mm-hmm. you know, it comes up with desserts a lot. Like, okay, let's plan the desserts, you know, twice mm-hmm. a week. And so then we mm-hmm. don't have to be asking for it every day. We already know. And kids do really well if they kind of know what to expect. Um, and there's some structure around it. So sometimes planning for the challenging things can be helpful in helping to troubleshoot when they occur. That's such a good point. And I agree with you. I think kids then, um, you know, they know there's a plan in place. They know they're going to have that drink or that dessert, and uh, it takes a lot of pressure off the uh, day-to-day conversations with the parents. So, Natalie, I get the feeling that your whole team is kind of on board with you here. Did you have any uh, trouble getting the the team to to sort of buy into this approach where this was going to be something you were talking about all the time? How did you get the the team on board? Yeah, so the, um, the group that I'm with, we are pretty large, and we have electronic health record with a patient answered questionnaire that's given to every child of the same age across our whole group. And a lot of it um, is based on just getting it into the questionnaire or kind of getting it into Mm. the EHR. And so the leadership team and our uh, committees that were doing updates to our our questionnaires uh, were very on board with this. And so some of the groups that I've worked with around some of the obesity issues, of course, pushed it, but it wasn't hard really within mm-hmm. my group to have everybody agree because we all are seeing um, the mm-hmm. impacts that come from high sugar right. consumption. And right. we're also seeing the community pressures and what, what parents are getting exposed to and everything else. So it, it wasn't difficult really um, within, within my group to get everybody on board to assess sugar consumption and then to address it um, through some of our brief counseling in the well child check. I wanted to bring you back, Natalie, because that the uh, policy on sugary drinks did have a lot of policy suggestions. Um, and I wondered if you could start with, is there anything pediatricians could do in their own communities um, that might be helpful? They're fighting this battle in the clinic and they really wanna help their patients and they know that there's external forces in the environment working uh, to make that harder. Is there something pediatricians could do um, who wanna get involved? Yeah, so um, great point, and thank you for asking that, because the biggest take-home from the policy statement, really, there's several different policies that we recommend. Um, The one that has the most evidence behind it and was the initial kind of spark for this policy statement was the recommendation that there should be an excise tax on sugary drinks. We know that when things cost more, people are less likely to buy them, and we know that one of the most critical things that we could do it, kind of societally to help reduce the negative impacts of sugary drink consumption on our kids and our teens is to actually implement um, a sugary drink tax. And it turns out that many different localities and communities and states and and um, in various places are really debating and having these types of bills that come up. Of course, you can imagine there's a lot of pushback um, from industry in them. I think one of the most uh, important things that pediatricians can do for this topic, but just in generally, is be an advocate and helping to support big changes that are on the table or that are being considered. 
um, to you know, lend the weight of the pediatrician voice behind them to help some of these measures get through. Because we can talk to our families one-on-one -on -one all day long, and we do, and we make an impact doing that. But if we really want to make a difference in reversing childhood obesity and optimizing kids' health, we have to do things on a policy level, on a big scale, um, so that the environment supports them in being healthy and it's not parents having to always be battling um, all these marketing messages or battling all of this sugary drinks everywhere. So pediatricians really using their voice to help influence policy can go a long way, um, whether that's being involved locally or at the state chapter or kind of through the national AAP as well. I know there was a lot of effort in our area um, with respect to school vending machines and getting water into the school vending machines and getting the sugary drinks out of the school vending machines. And that alone uh, took a lot of work because there's uh, actually money to be made from those vending machines and a lot of fear that uh, uh, replacing sugary drinks with water wouldn't work, but it actually did work. And we were able in our area to get the schools to make some of those changes. So um, I also think there's, there's if you're not, uh, in a community that is looking at the, uh, the tax on sugary drinks, there are other avenues of change that you might wanna engage in uh, schools. Um, the other thing that mm -hmm. happened that I was kind of surprised about is our parks and recreation a department had vending machines in the parks and got interested in putting water in those vending machines, someplace where I wasn't necessarily thinking about sugary drinks. So, um, I think there are opportunities in the community uh, that you might not at first blush think about that you could uh, advocate, especially if you're looking to work with your chapter. Definitely agree completely. What other policies do you think that might be on the horizon uh, that might be helpful, uh, knowing that the tax you, you think is going to be the one that has the biggest effect? But what are some other policies that you guys thought would be might be influential here. Yeah, so um, there's also been some bills that have come up and some discussion about putting warning labels on sugary mm -hmm. drinks, helping to remind uh, people or to make aware, those who don't know, that sugary drink consumption uh, is you know, high in sugar and associated with things like dental caries, as you mentioned, type 2 diabetes, heart disease, so that there is no confusion about um, the health or lack thereof of um, sugary drinks. Also, and it's, a, it's, it's challenging, but really there needs to be a better controls and regulations on the marketing of all of these drinks to young people, especially now through social media and through you know, YouTube, as I mentioned, and, and these other devices and games and apps and things that kids are doing that they're, they're getting bombarded. Uh, with lots of messaging for sugary drinks and the the regulations or the you know the self-imposed regulations that the beverage industry has kind of put on themselves previously isn't really adept adapted to the 21st century and the modern age where it's not TV that people that young people are really watching so much anymore it's all this stuff online um, so we really advocate that there needs to be better regulation or control or monitoring or change about this marketing of, of the sugary drinks to young people. Um, also, this is already in play, so we just supported it in our statement, but ha helping people to be aware through the nutrition label of the, the, sugar, con the sugar content 
in all drinks, including specifically like added sugar in drinks, mm. which can be especially confusing for certain beverages that may have milk or they may have whole fruit in them, but then there's been additional sugars added to them. So really helping um, people to very easily see how much sugar is in a sugary drink that they're consuming. Yeah, I remember there was a study, I think it was about 2016, where they actually showed a group of parents these warning labels, and the parents felt, um, you know, were impressed by them um, and felt that that would change their behavior. So I think there's there's something to be said for um, warning labels and actually helping parents understand what's on the label so they can uh, have that information, and it does influence their decision-making. Um, another thing that I've... Uh, heard about, uh, but not as recently, is menu labeling and the fast food establishments or, or the restaurants that have the calorie count of the, um, the drinks. Have you heard anything more about that, or do you think that's making any impact? Yeah, having um, the, the labeling of the drinks, I think, is helpful just from the, the aspect of people being aware and having it kind of in their face a little bit when they're making that choice. And also one of the things that we um, advocated for on behalf of like children's and children's meals and beverages is that the default drink to be water or milk rather than a default drink wow. being a soda or juice. Um, and some mm -hmm. establishments have taken that upon themselves to make the default and some um, cities and locations across the country have made it a requirement. So uh, we support that as well. So in addition to having, you know, labeling to know what's in there, also just to make the healthy choice, the easy choice, and, and really the default choice, especially for children's meals and beverages. I think that's so important. And I think you could, even if that's not the case, just to remind the parents that just because it says kids meal doesn't necessarily mean it's healthy meal. And so maybe pay attention to what comes with it, what kind of drink is coming with it, and ask for a substitute. Because sometimes we just... Uh, you know, somehow we think the kids' meal is going to be okay and not necessarily think that we can even replace a component of that meal just by asking for a substitute. So I think that's such a good suggestion. Um, do you think, Natalie, as you look at the policy and um, how things are going, do you think we're headed in the right direction or do you think we're going to, um, we're, we're, there's some movement occurring in, in the approach to sugary drinks? Yeah, um, so on the one hand, it's really um, an uphill battle, to be honest, on a lot of the different policies that we advocate for. Uh, the, the beverage industry is very powerful and, and opposed to a lot of um, the recommendations that we've made in the statement that would really um, decrease sales of sugary drinks. On the other hand, um, there have been decreased sales of sugary drinks. I mean, people are paying attention <laughs> and they're drinking less of these drinks, which is fantastic. Yeah. And really the industry responds to that by coming up with other drinks that, that people are buying and which tends, you see sparkling water and different variations of, of waters now um, all over the place. So I think that overall we are making progress um, and it just comes in different ways and different forms. And it just requires us to constantly um, be on it, and, and as a, as a uh, profession, as pediatricians, you know, across the country, there's 100,000 of us, and we're talking to families every day, like having the same message and continuing the message and beating the drum and having our state chapters and districts and national AAP kind of supporting that as well on a larger level is, I think we're getting there, we're making progress, but certainly we can't 
we can't let up. It's still kind of an uphill climb, but we're, we're, we're getting there, I think. And, you know, you just said such a beautiful thing because this is really how I think of the pediatricians. Here we are in our offices and day to day we're going one patient at a time and really helping, uh, trying to help that family get healthier. And we're also stepping out of our offices into the communities and we are going to the schools and we're working with our chapters and making policy and um, getting involved with policy writing. And, um, you know, I think it just explains um, what being a pediatrician really means, that we're gonna go out of our offices to help our kids in the, um, in the wider world. So I think progress is being made. Um, it's wonderful to see that happening as a result of, of efforts like pediatricians like yourself and all the pediatricians around the country that are trying so hard to move the, move the needle. So Natalie, thank you so much for our conversation today. And I look forward to uh, hearing uh, about what's next uh, from the section on obesity about uh, the next things that you're going to be tackling. So thank you very much. Thanks so much for having me. It's really a pleasure. Thank you for listening to my conversation today with Natalie about sugar-sweetened beverages. Please remember to check out some of the relevant resources on the Institute for Healthy Childhood Weights website and the Bright Futures website. Some of the ones that may be most relevant to this conversation include the Early Feeding CME module on healthy beverages and the AAP policy on reducing sugary drink consumption in children and adolescents. In addition, be sure to check out the consensus statement on healthy beverage consumption in early childhood and the AAP campaign for dental health. These are just a few of my favorites, but be sure to check out both the Institute and Bright Futures website for more. The views, information, resources, or opinions expressed during the Conversations About Care podcast series are solely those of the individuals and do not necessarily represent those of the American Academy of Pediatrics. The topics included in these podcasts do not indicate an exclusive course of treatment or serve as a standard of medical care. Variations, taking into account individual circumstances, may be appropriate. The primary purpose of this podcast is to explore common themes related to quality pediatric care from the perspective of clinicians. This podcast series does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. This podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. Advertising, which is incorporated into, placed in association with, or targeted toward the content of this podcast without the expressed approval and knowledge of the American Academy of Pediatrics podcast developers is forbidden. You may not edit, modify, or redistribute this podcast.